listening to Simmering Thoughts, a weekly podcast where host Ryan Akers welcomes you to sit back and enjoy slow-cooked thinking on Christian life and theology. This week, I am joined by my good friend, Michael Wilhite. He's coming by to talk with us a little bit about what it means to work. What does it mean to work in light of our creation in God's image, and especially in our recreation in the image of Christ as we live as Christians? Before we begin that discussion, you have just enough time to grab your Bible, find yourself a comfortable chair, maybe even something to drink, and enjoy this episode of Simmering Thoughts. Welcome back to Simmering Thoughts. My name is Ryan Akers, and we have a special treat today as we record our fourth episode here in season two. I have a guest in the same room with me. I'm actually on a mobile system, moved down to my church, and a pastor from one of the local churches is here with me. His name is Michael Wilhite. He is not just a pastor, though. He does a few other things, including he's my favorite weatherman of all. Uh, and mostly that is because he has more time to use for his forecast than the guys on TV. And so he has the opportunity to add detail. And as you all know, I like a lot of details. He is the pastor of New Hope Baptist Church in a town you could not find if I gave you a map. It's called Newtonville, Indiana, and it's just a little bit south of where I am. Uh, they're actually almost in my elementary school zone there. They go to the next school over. Uh, and so uh, we actually Michael, technically are in your you elementary are, school okay, there we go. zone. Uh, the, the cutoff is like a half mile from us, okay. but Chrisney's closer. So we, uh, yeah. we take Abby because all the kids from the church go to Chrisney. Yep. That helps. So Michael introduces us a little, a little bit more to you. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, name's Michael Wilhite. I pastor a new hope uh, Baptist church in, uh, like you said, a little dot on the map called Newtonville. Actually the locals call it Tubtown as a little fun fact. Uh, Tubtown is the local way to refer to it, and apparently back when we used to have a general store in the late 1800s, there were a couple of uh, old ladies that were fighting over the last wash tub at the local general store, so the nickname became Tubtown after that. So uh, even some people from your church, I've visited Heritage Hills uh, many times, know a lot of people here at this great church, and uh, uh, some of some of your older people will say, well, how's life in Tubtown? So, and I'd never heard of it until I came there. But uh, that yeah. is hilarious. Oh, yeah, the wonders yeah. of small town living. Oh, it, it really is. Uh, but it's a joy. I pastor that, and then of course, uh, uh, you know, I uh, I'm bivocational, so I work outside of that as well. I work for county government, and uh, and then run a weather website on side called Southern Indiana Weather. And uh, Jack of all trades, master of none is kind of the way I tend to think of myself. Well, that's fantastic. I it's it's interesting to watch from my point of view, being a teacher and and the amount of time that takes, and uh, seeing some of the the bivocational pastors we have in the area, uh, because a lot of the Baptist churches we have that's that's where we are, and uh, it's interesting to watch the different things you guys do to it supplement that income and and to get started with ministry on the side of a job and, and the amount of effort that takes. Cause I know what it takes just to do the little bit that I do around here uh, with helping with music and, and helping with some of the administration things. And uh, that is a significant amount of time it to, is. when you add in the other things that a pastor does. And, and that makes, that makes it difficult to do. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, I think it's more challenging than full-time ministry because you don't have all the time to do all of the visits and uh, other things that you would, you would want to do. But 
you know, and it's where the Lord has me, and I'm not going to complain. He knows best. That's for sure. Part of the reason I did invite you to be a guest on this particular episode is because of your unique uh, look at work, because you're running three jobs at the same time yeah. and <laughs> trying to balance. I know a little bit about work. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so what we're going to be doing today is continuing our discussion about what is man. And we're going to focus especially today on vocation and, and what it means to work what it means to be called to work, and how that looks from our creation. So we're going to kind of overlap the last few episodes we've done where we looked at man being created, man falling. So this is going to kind of work into all of those different uh, areas, but it's coming at it from a different angle than we have in the past. And so this is going to get a little bit extra context to uh, what work is and what man is all about. What are we here to do uh, we've already discussed that we're here to bring God glory. We're here to worship God. But there's uh, an aspect of that that happens through work yeah, uh, that, that I wanted to get to. So let's just start with just a good definition of vocation or work uh, in terms of man's creation and how we relate to God through our work. Yeah, um, I, I think a, a good definition would be um, whatever we are doing to... Uh, glorify the Lord, in a sense, can be considered work. And uh, I, I say that because, you know, I know we're going to put it in the context of the New Testament later, but the uh, New Testament says very clearly whatever you do, whether it's in word or whether it's in deed, do it all to the glory of the Lord. And so that's why we were created to begin with, was to glorify the Lord so that we would be a bride for the Lord Jesus who would worship Him and adore Him forever. Uh, and work is a natural part of that. You know, work... Um, so I know we live in a culture now who is trying to shy away from work more. You, uh, it used to be past generations had one strong work ethic, yeah. and they were workaholics. And you know, uh, and now of course we don't nearly have that as much as we used to. You have a lot of people who are, are shying away from work. Uh, everybody's living for the weekend now rather than. Uh, rather than uh, just putting their, their hard uh, hours worth of work in there. But um, we tend to think of, of work as a, a bad thing, but work was actually pre-fall. It, it yeah. was part of Genesis chapter 1 where he put man in the Garden of Eden and told him to tend it and keep it and to have exercise dominion over everything. So, uh, you know, you think about it. We were flower gardeners in the beginning. <laughs> I mean, <clears throat> what, 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 you know, work is work to us now because of the fall. The fall made work feel like work. Right. But, you know, I mean, all, I mean, really, what did Adam have to do in the beginning? It Work really didn't feel like work. All he had to do is go deadhead some roses, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, make everything look beautiful and worship and adore the Lord, and everything was hunky-dory. Then the fall came in, and, you know, Genesis 3 comes along, and, and God says, well, you really blew it, but I still love you, but uh, work is going to feel like work, and now thorns and thistles are going to grow in its yeah. place, and you're going you're gonna to raise your food by the sweat of your brow. And so as a result, work became what we know it today as a uh, hard work. And uh, as we get into a culture now, unfortunately, that is more anti-God every, every day, it seems like. Yeah. Um, if you get into an anti-God culture, you're eventually going to get into an anti-work culture. Because work is ordained by God, and uh, Satan is going to do anything he can to take everything from God and, and chip away at it. So now you're getting into a culture that is just fascinated by recreation all the time. And, uh, you know, even on YouTube, it's fascinating to look at some of the YouTube trends. 
Um, van life is one of these things that's trending on YouTube now where people are giving up their homes in these big cities and they're going to live in, in a van down by the river like yes, the old skit goes, you know. <laughs> um, I, <clears throat> that's fine. I've done that when I've been camping solo, but, you know, I can't imagine living long term like that. But there are people that are doing that or, or live, selling everything and living in RVs and just uh, doing a little bit of work here and there along the road, but all for the reason of being able to go travel and see everything else. And I guess it doesn't sound like terrible, a terrible life, but I, I think it chips away at something in that God has created us to work, and he has called us to glorify God. And I think part of that is because um, by our strong work ethic as believers— we show a little bit of the character of God to people whenever we put an honest day's worth of work in. And when we're giving it our all and, and those uh, unbelievers around us aren't giving it their all, well, why are, why are you so into this? And why, Well, because everything I do is for the Lord. And so whether it's my work here, whether it's my work at the church, or whether it's my life at home, it's for the Lord. And when you recognize that, I mean, I really think it just changes everything. Yeah. Well, and in, in I think a lot of it, when we're working for ourself uh, in a selfish mode, our eyes are turned toward uh, often things that are, that are so temporary. Uh, you know, we're working, working to get the, the one part to put on our car that's going to die in a few, in not too long, you know, to get that new set of whatever uh, to, to get the new technology toy that we're going to want to replace very soon. Uh, and we're working for those things instead of working for something that's lasting. Yes. Uh, and, and there are those, especially in the older uh, work culture, that would work for the purpose of family. And that was their 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 main target was to be uh, working to provide simply for their family. And that's and, a noble goal, I would a add. a noble goal. Scripture and, says if a man shall not work, he shall not eat. Right. So I think Paul's very clear that we ought to provide for our families. Yes, absolutely. And it's, and it's a noble thing. But I think often those became almost insular goals at times and and it and it stopped at the edge of the driveway basically and uh there's a communal aspect to work that we sometimes lose uh that's something where the agrarian economy uh forces you into understanding the communal aspect of work um you know i tell my kids in class as we're talking about different styles of music i like to add some cultural background to it and you know you you talk about a barn raising and they have no clue the the communal <laughs> effort that it took to raise a to barn. just raise a barn yeah, and the fact yeah. that it became the thing uh, and I mean that was the social event of the year at times uh, and now we have uh, our fall festivals and things like that especially around here yeah. uh, every town has their own kind of uh, of harvest type festival uh, and a lot of times those barn raisings were were, were serving that purpose and it was a community getting together for the purpose of work and for the purpose of uh, helping each other out yeah. and uh, sharing food, sharing resources uh, where, where we have strength. And I think as we get into a more uh, technological and even intellectual work, it's a lot harder to have that communal sense of the work. Uh, as I watch some of my friends on Twitter, uh, especially because, you know, here there's not a lot of folks that are involved in uh, publishing and, and that kind of work. Uh, but as I, as I watch those that are working in the publishing industry, especially, there is a communal aspect of putting out a product that we don't always get. And, it, you know, even in teaching, 
it is a community. I mean, it's a team effort to get a, a school, a group of kids to learn. But at the same time, we're often isolated by the nature of the classroom. And we, we lose that connection to what's happening across the hall. And we miss something in that. And, you know, I, I think sometimes we don't take it far enough as believers when we do our theology of work to um, sometimes we stop basically, well, um, <clears throat> you know, uh, work is we ought to do it because it glorifies the Lord and because we make money that way and we can give to the Lord. And, and that's a wonderful goal and that's a wonderful thing. And we certainly should. But work is more than just that. And I, I don't think work is only so that we can make enough to support our family and then give back to the Lord. I think work is part of who we are. We're created in the image of God. God works. God uh, worked six days in the original days of creation and then rested on the seventh. Gave a pattern to us so that we were to work six days a week, Exodus 20 and the Tenth Commandments, and then, hey, we're supposed to rest on the seventh day. So as much as a, you know, we need a proper theology of rest, I think, as much as we need a proper theology of work. Yes. But, um, they're, you, they're you know, there's a, they very are much entwined. And we, there's a such thing as overwork. And, and some people, usually those who are overworking are the ones who are money hungry and are, are, are focused on, on that. Paul deals with that when he says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So, we, you know, we don't want to overwork so that we can just uh, love money and get more of it and, you know, be like Uncle Scrooge on DuckTales and just be swimming in our money and whatever, you know. Uh, but at the same time, I, I go into what you said with the communal aspect, I think is so important to a good theology of work because uh, God has created us to be his image bearers and God has called us to take the gospel to the nations. Well, we think the nations, we think about, oh, sure, Africa and Timbuktu and whatever else, and that's important, and we ought to send missionaries over there. But God wants us to be missionaries where we are, right here in Santa Claus, Indiana, or Tubtown, Indiana, yeah. <laughs> you know? God wants us to be missionaries right here in, in Spencer County, where you and I are located, or in the county, wherever our listeners right now are, are located. And work is a part of that. Whenever you work, you, you are representing Christ. And so the way that you work, the diligence that you put into it, the care that you put into it, and the communal aspect that you put into it, you know, your workers become some of your closest friends sometimes. Yeah. And so, you know, you, you get to see an aspect of their lives, and, and you need to mute, view it missionally, where you're, you're taking work not just for the sake of providing money, although that's certainly part of it, uh, you, you're working also because you want to spread the gospel to the nations and to your unsaved co-workers and things. And whenever you, whenever you put that spin on it, doing everything to the glory of the Lord, it really just radically changes the way you work, why you work. Well, we're definitely, there's, a, there's a, an innate sense of a, of a compulsion almost to work. Uh, that that comes, you know, as you watch a uh, even a child as they play, oftentimes they will incorporate elements of work uh, into even their playtime. And as adults, we kind of do the same thing, depending on you know hobbies and things like that yeah, uh, that absolutely. folks have. Uh, and I think that's uh, to a degree for me, that's history and and theology uh, is a hobby that I have and an interest that I have outside of my income. Yeah, uh, that yeah. that's part of work. And so there's a lot of different ways that we work. Um, and I, I want to explore a little bit more the, the command that God gives us to work. Uh, you know, with Adam, it was very clearly a, an agrarian based, you know, tend what I've given you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and as, as society has developed from there and as, as we've added uh, all the different technologies and, and different cultural things that go along with work, 
uh, as we even get to today, or you know, we can look at, at 2,000 years ago if we want to, because I think some of this is the same. Uh, is God's command to uh, of how we're going to provide and how we're going to be a part of his work uh, are related. Uh, but I'm, I'm interested in how you would how you would take the command that Adam was given and frame it in terms of, say, uh, someone in the Old Testament and then maybe someone uh, in the in the early church, uh, as opposed to maybe even today. Uh, what does that command look like as it progresses? Yeah. Uh, so I think in Adam's case, you know, the command uh, by God is pretty clear. Uh, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that God uh, that crawls on the earth, and uh, then he goes on from there. Of course, that's Genesis one twenty six through twenty eight, uh, the command. And so we see that you know again, uh, the command to work is part of creation, not the fall. The fall, then of course, screwed everything up. And then you get to Genesis chapter three, and uh, the ground is cursed because of you. You will eat it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you'll eat the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground since you were taken from it, for you are dust and you will return to dust. So those are kind of the, I think, the central scriptures in that. I think for Adam, you know, originally, like I said, he didn't really have all that much to do. He could go deadhead some roses and he could just sort of take care of what God has in perfection put into place, but he walked with God communally. Um, walked with Eve. We don't know how long he was in the Garden of Eden because Scripture never tells us. Um, I'm guessing it's not all that long because we know that he was a certain age whenever he fathered his children. We get that through the genealogies later, so we're not talking hundreds of years here. But are we talking two years, two days, or two decades? I I don't know, but it, it was a time. And for whatever time that he was in that garden, uh, you know, I believe he was right there walking with God and the angels, and everything was uh, perfect. And but then sin, of course, screwed everything up. In the Old Testament, then you're not going to have the conveniences that we do today. Well, the same way with the New Testament too. Uh, you didn't have a grocery store. You and I can just go down to Holiday Foods down the road, and if we run out of milk, we can go get a gallon of milk. We didn't. We didn't have to go. Uh, we didn't have to go milk Bessie to be able to get some milk to be able to make yeast bread or something like that with. Right. You know. Uh, if you wanted meat, you had to go slaughter a chicken or whatever the case it would have been. It wouldn't have been pig in the case of the Jews, obviously. Sad they didn't have bacon, but, um, you know, um, you get the idea. You, you really had to work by the sweat of your brow back. Even, even just getting water for the day. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you think about what it had been. I think John 4 illustrates that well, whenever Jesus is with the woman at the well. And she's going in the middle of the day. Well, she's going in the middle of the day because she's a social outcast and because she's living with a man who's not her husband, and she's had five husbands, and, you know, and, and you know, she's an outcast, and she'd draw on water in the middle of the day. But it illustrates something about that culture. Every day the women would go get the water from the, the community well, and then they would come back to be able to make their bread and wash dishes and do whatever else they needed to do through the day. It was a hard life. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you had to do 
you had to work hard just to be able to survive. Now, if you fast forward that into the New Testament, you still find that. Even in the early church, uh, in the book of Acts, you find a lot of believers living together because, uh, well, I don't think it was necessarily because they wanted to, but more or less they had to because they were the outcasts of society. Uh, they were getting pressured on all sides, especially the Jews that had converted over, uh, because the Jews hated them, and the Greeks hated them, and so they weren't, uh, you know, some of them were having their uh, homes pillaged and destroyed. Some of them were not being able to find employment because of who they were. So they would take everything and live together communally in some cases uh, in order to be able to survive. But then fast forward that to today, and we have advances that those generations couldn't have dreamed of. Electricity just literally changed everything about who we are. And, um, you know, I, I, for one, really don't want to go back to living without electricity. It's pretty nice to be able to have a podcast, for yes, example, absolutely. just to discuss <laughs> theological issues. It's nice to know whenever I walk into a room, I can just flip a light switch on and it's going to come on. And it doesn't matter if it's three in the morning. It's going to come on. Um, And so that changes everything. Work became based a little bit different. Now you need people to uh, run power plants and uh, other things like that to be able to keep you know, the community going. You still need farmers to be able to provide food, but even our mass farming today is much, much different than what, yep. what it was back then. So, But I think no matter whether you were working to provide for a living for yourself, and you know, God still provided for the poor around them. Whenever you harvested grain, he said, don't pick it up what you dropped off the ground. He provided for the poor that way where they could come through the fields, and that was kind of their, their welfare of the time, so to speak. God provided for that. Uh, but the command is still the same. Even though it's changed context, we were always called to work for the glory of the Lord. Whether you're working for the glory of the Lord, like I said, deadheading roses in the garden because it's absolute perfection, or whether you're working for the glory of the Lord, providing for Eve and your kids to be able to grow up and uh, teach them the fear and admonition of the Lord, or whether you're in the New Testament struggling to survive uh, as a believer because you're under intense persecution and you're pooling your resources for the glory of the Lord, or whether you are... uh, today uh, doing what we would do, uh, whether that be going to the power plant to keep the lights on for everybody else, whether that be a firefighter or a policeman helping to protect society, or whether that be a doctor in the ER. Praise God for people like that, noble professions. Um, But, you know, even trash collectors are noble professions. And sometimes we we tend to think, well, this is a a better job than than another. It may be. I don't know that I, God bless you, trash collectors that are out there listening to this. That's a job that I really wouldn't want. Um, But someone's got to do it, and praise God you're doing it. Because we need it in society, and and there's no shame in doing a job like that. If you're doing it for the glory of the Lord, as long as it's a permissible job, it's good. There are some jobs I would say you're not going to glorify the Lord no matter what you're doing, like say you're a prostitute in Las Vegas. I'm going to guess that's one that's not going to bring glory to the Lord no matter what you're doing. So as long as it's a legitimate job, whether it's uh, whether it's a dirty job like Mike Rowe would, yeah. would call it or not, or whether you're sitting in an office managing uh, the company as, uh, as a white-collar job as a CEO, do it to the glory of the Lord, yeah. whether it's Old Testament, New, or today. I think as we're discussing that, I, something that, that I had in my notes and, and I kind of want to direct toward is Adam, and even to a degree, uh, the the Old Testament church had a tangible connection between their work and the fruit they enjoyed from it. There was a, there was a visceral part of that where, you know, 
you know, you raise the cattle, you can touch the cow. <laughs> you know? yeah. At some point, you're going to probably eat the cow. Uh, and there's there's a, a direct feeling of uh, reward that comes from that. Uh, as you're controlling and as you're gaining dominion over what it is you're working, uh, there's a fruitfulness that you can directly uh, connect. And I think as we get to the more modern uh, economic situation where we are, that that connection isn't quite as smooth or obvious uh, for a lot of different reasons, partially how payroll is done now, uh, partially how taxes are taken now. Uh, you know, they've, they've made it about as painless as possible in that they take it out before you even see a lot of your taxes yeah. or they, they wrap it up into other spending. It's not like the guy comes, knocks on your door and, you know, takes a bag of money out, uh, which is what used to happen. Right. Uh, and, and as we look at that and, and think about the difference of how we sense our fruit, how we recognize uh, the fruitfulness that we do bring from our work. Um, I think in some degree, especially that intellectual work, the white collar work or, or uh, similar, there's a uh, something missing that we don't recognize in the course of our work that, that speaks to uh, the nature of man. I think that's one of the things where, uh, the hobbies of woodworking and such are so popular yeah, it, at different times because there's a uh, there's a, a disconnect between when I push the button on the computer and what is actually a finished product. And a lot of times we're working on things that aren't finished and we never really see that finished product. Uh, I know as a teacher, that's something that, you know, I wait for decades to before I really see yeah. the fruit of what I've done. And uh, I, I think that produces a little bit of a challenge in a uh, almost an apologetics type way where it's hard to connect somebody who doesn't understand or doesn't sense the fruitfulness of their work, how to connect them to Adam and how to get them to understand how they connect to work in the past. Yeah, I think that's a, a real challenge. Um, I, one, of, one of my jobs, I, I work for county government. I, I direct the Soil and Water Conservation District in Orange County. And um, I see that all the time because I'm working directly with farmers, and I also uh, sometimes go into schools and educate kids and things like this. And uh, you know, people just think you you go pick up that gallon of milk off the shelf. Um, hey, this is, is, is sounds silly, but well, chocolate milk that comes from chocolate cows, right? Um, and I say that jokingly, but there are some people who would who would maybe actually believe that there's a lot of survey honest. data that says they do yeah exactly adults, adults so, that hold that. <laughs> yeah and, and we are we are disconnected from agriculture um and so you know that that can be good and that can be bad agriculture is not for everybody and i understand that but yeah we do get disconnected from our work absolutely uh even my hobbies at home are, are probably work I, I garden a lot um I, you know I, I love my rose garden and um uh, pollinator habitats and other things I, I done. I just, this, this, the sense of, uh, of uh, a hard day's work in the garden and seeing the beautiful result that comes later in the summer as a result of that is enjoyable to me. But I'm sitting behind a computer all day uh, doing government red tape, trying to, trying to get paperwork done for people so that they can get the help they need from the government to right. uh, do what they need to do on their farm. And so, um, you know, uh, whenever you pencil push all day or uh, push buttons on a computer is more right. like it now. Um, sometimes I, I know firsthand you don't see that work. 
even my work as, as a meteorologist, uh, you know, I'm crunching the numbers and I'm, I'm looking at the model data. You don't always see the work that you do and, right. until somebody messages you and, and says what an impact it had on them or whatever. And it's always good to hear. But, yep, we're, we're disconnected from it. So I think um, that just makes it more challenging to uh, remember that we need to be glorifying God with our work, but it doesn't mean it's an excuse not to. It just means that we have extra obstacles that we've got to overcome. We've got to keep uh, getting back into the Word and keep reminding ourselves that whether we eat or whether we drink, we do it to the glory of the Lord, uh, like uh, Paul says. So that, you know, right there tells me that God is concerned about the smallest details of my life. If he's concerned about what I'm eating and what I'm drinking and that I ought to be eating and drinking to the Lord, then he's concerned about the smallest details of my life being done for him. Uh, and that can be a real challenge, I think, um, to uh, remember that in the heat of the moment sometimes, um, partly because we're so disconnected from our work now uh, and the results of things that we see. Uh, still not an excuse, though. We still right. got to glorify the Lord. I think from a church context, there's a difference in how we train our people in terms of uh, not necessarily, well, partially their income work but also their work with the church uh, where we're not used to seeing that fruit uh, in our personal lives. I think sometimes we come into the church and uh, we, one of two extremes, we either don't anticipate any fruit coming. Uh, and so we don't, we don't know how to create it. We don't know how to, what, what to do uh, because you know, the spirit is driving the fruit that we get. We're not, I mean, our responsibility is to tow the hoe right. and, and the spirit does the, the, the production, but uh, also the, the there's a, a mix between not anticipating any fruit and the other extreme of uh, either anticipating so much fruit or being able, even expecting that you're able to control fruit through the church uh, and through our labor in the church. Uh, I think, I think it's something that uh, one, we don't talk up and uh, talk about enough. And two, I think it's something that as we do church work, whether it's in worship time, whether it's in discipleship, whether it's in evangelism, uh, the, that delay that we experience in our regular life uh, at, at work the delay between work and fruit is even more so, I think, inside the church work. Well, we're an instant gratification culture. You know, we, we go to, let's just say, fast food restaurant in general. Yeah. And uh, you go there, and, and you know, you, you put it in, and you're waiting more than five minutes in line. You're getting antsy, yeah. and you're starting to tap on that. And uh, we, we've raised up an entire generation of people that have no patience whatsoever. And uh, part of that goes, uh, part of that has been... Um, I think because of the disconnect that we talked about, mm -hmm. but I think part of it is that we are a more digital culture now than we were, and so uh, we can get everything at our fingertips right away. Uh, you know, we didn't have Google when you and I were kids. Oh. You had to go to Encyclopedia Britannica if you wanted an answer to something or ask your teacher. World uh, book. World we book. Had oh yes, World <laughs> book. Forgot about good old World book. Yep. Yeah, you, you had to go to something like that, and uh, now you can just pick up your phone and say, hey, Siri, what's the capital of Austria? Yep. Uh, and, you know, you don't have to go look up something anymore. You can just get an answer. And the more you get that as a culture, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. Uh, I, I personally like being able to pick up my phone and say, okay, Siri, do this for me or whatever. Okay, Alexa, do this or whatever. It's nice to have that. 
It does create an instant gratification culture, though, and it's something that we have to fight against. And even in the church, like you were saying, that spills over because we are people, we may not be of the world, but we are still in the world. And so the church is not a place for perfect people to come in. It's a hospital for sinners, not a hotel for saints. Uh, We we are all uh, coming in, uh, broken, ruined sinners in need of a Savior, Jesus. And um, so we are all, uh, to some degree, impatient, and we are all, to some degree, instant gratification kind of people. And so when we put uh, uh, work into a committee or whatever, or or we work our hearts out in VBS week, and and we are exhausted, and let's say by the end of the week, no kids have gotten saved during that week, there can be a discouragement to that. But at the same time, we got to remember God's Word doesn't come back to Him void, Mm -hmm. for starters. And secondly, you know, it's the 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 58 kind of uh, mentality where uh, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. It's not in vain. God's going to do with it exactly what he wants to do with it, but you've got to be patient. Uh, um, that's just the nature uh, of the beast here, but we don't like patience. And so I think one of the ways that we can counter that, especially as pastors, is we need to teach on stewardship. And typically when we teach on stewardship, we talk about finances. Pastors, we don't like to talk about the Sermon on the Amount because that gets us in trouble a little bit. And we, there's, there, there's kind of the pressure with that. It's never stopped me, but I know some pastors are, are that way. I feel the pressure. I understand it. Um, but stewardship goes beyond just our tithe. Yeah. And we need, to talk, uh, we need to get back to talking about how, listen, God wants our time. Uh, and it isn't just 10% of your time. It's not just 10% of your money either. You, if you're thinking, well, it's 90% mine, but 10% God's, you, you've just completely blown it. You, you've thought about it the wrong way. It's 100% God's. God lets you keep 90% of it as a wise steward, and he wants you to use it wisely. He just asks that you give 10% of it back to him. And it's the same way with our time. It's not just our finances. Like I said, it's our time. 100% of our time is supposed to be spent glorifying the Lord. And so, yes, God allows us uh, family vacations to be able to go and relax and have those good times with family. That's a wonderful thing. Take that whenever you can, because in a culture like we have today, spending time with family is very important whenever everything's pulling us away from it. But at the same time... um, realize that every ounce of your time is God's. And so we have a whole generation of people now that attend on Sunday morning and don't do anything else in the church. And that's, that's unfortunate. Um, we ought to all be plugged into the local church in some way as part of our work ethic because we ought to be working for the Lord before we would work for anybody else. There, there are some barns in the church that need to be raised, and we can't raise them because we don't have enough workers. Yeah, and and not only that, we have um, untrained workers <laughs> to yeah. a great degree, yeah. uh, or or folks that are trained in 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 places where they're not called to work. Yeah, we're bad about that as Baptists. You get locked into a, a position, and that's your position for life, and yep. uh, that's that's not the way it ought to be. It's unfortunate. I've tried to get my church away from that. We don't put somebody into the position on the nominating committee just because it needs to be filled. If we don't have anybody that's willing to do that, we leave it blank. And we ought to, because uh, we'll pray and God will provide. Yeah, that's for sure. And we have, uh, in, in the context of that work with the church, in the context of being plugged in, uh, it's, it's hard to get someone started in that direction. Uh, and once they do get started, it's, they, they, there's a uh, fruitfulness that the Spirit gives us. That the, there's a, a sense of 
of working for the Lord that is rewarding. Uh, and that, that as you work, the more you do uh, within reason, the more you do uh, and the more you rest on, on entrusting God to make the fruit from your work, uh, the more rewarding it gets and the easier it is to work. Well, the church ought to be about making disciples, and yes. we've gotten away from that, unfortunately. Yes. There's so many other uh, things that we do. Yeah, But a disciple, you know, you could define it many ways. I like David Platt's definition, a committed lifelong learner and follower of Jesus Christ. Um, we're, we're a disciple of somebody who is, is committed to obeying everything the Lord has commanded, like the Great Commission commands. So, um, you know, it, it's a discipleship issue. We have a lot of baby Christians in our church who don't really want to be committed disciples. Mm-hmm. They're, they're there, and they're, they're uh, what you would call convinced listeners. That is to say, they're sitting in the crowd, and they agree with what the preacher is saying, but they walk out of the doors, and it really doesn't affect their life. They're convinced that it's true. They're just not putting it into practice. So they're a convinced listener, but they're not really a committed disciple yet. And the New Testament, unfortunately, doesn't call us to be convinced listeners. It calls us to be committed lifelong learners and followers of Jesus. And Jesus was a hard worker. Right. We see that throughout all of the Gospels. Paul was a hard worker. Um, I mean, I mean, the, the man wouldn't even take money from some churches at times. Uh, when he said, I, I could, I have a right to be able to say pay me because of the work that I'm doing here, uh, and it's right to pay your pastor. I'm a pastor, so self, self little plug there. <laughs> um, it's right to pay your pastor, but Paul was saying, listen, I'm not going to take it because I don't want anybody to accuse me of doing this profit. And, and he worked hard. Yeah. And um, we, we, yeah, it's sad. We don't find as much of that in our generation today, even in our churches. And I think it's because we have viewed discipleship more as a program. Come to this. Uh, come to this Bible study or, or come to this one-time event or go to this spiritual retreat weekend or whatnot, and you'll, you'll learn to be a disciple when that's not what a discipleship is about. Certainly those things are good and helpful. I'm not denying that. But to be a disciple means you're walking alongside of someone hand-in-hand, hand, and you're sharing your spiritual journey. And, uh, you know, whether you're helping mentor someone or being mentored by someone or whether you are, are just plugged into a small group or a Sunday school or whatever your church has, and you're getting into a group where you can have some accountability, where you can share prayer requests and struggles with each other and things, that's the kind of thing that's missing in a lot of our churches today. We're, we're, not, really, we're not really doing life together as disciples. Uh, we may chat for a little bit on Sunday morning after church, but then we go home and we don't see each other through the week. And um, that spills over into our culture, into the way we work too, unfortunately. I, I've been wondering lately, especially the last couple of years as I've been thinking about uh, how discipleship works and how I've been discipled and how I'm trying to disciple others. Sure. And I think there's a generational switch that happened somewhere in the 20th century. I don't want to identify which generation because I don't have enough data to put my finger on it. But somewhere as we got to that point in technology land where we separated work from fruit, somewhere in there, the, the, the how to mentor and the nature of being a mentor changed. And it became less about, teaching someone how to do and showing them how to do and walking with them to just simply say, here, read this or uh, drive by commenting 
Uh, you know, it's like the guy driving by on the on, in the car while somebody's mowing their lawn saying, hey, you missed a spot. I mean, yeah. I think sometimes that's Absolutely. what we've gotten to with with mentorship and with discipleship. Well, I think part of it's parenting. Parenting yeah. has radically changed. And we you know, we're now into a generation where we expect the church and the school to raise our kids. Uh, and that's unfortunate. Parents ought to be raising their own kids, discipling their own kids at home. Now, sure, bring them to church and, and let them let the Sunday school help disciple them. That's a right. good and important aspect. But let, let's just face it. If the church is the only area where your kids are getting any exposure to the gospel throughout the week and they're not getting exposure to it at home uh, through, through you living it out or through you reading it together as a family or whatever the case may be, I'm not going to get on anyone. Family worship looks different for every family and that's fine. But if they're not getting some exposure to it at home, uh, listen, our, our uh, schools, and you know this well because you're a teacher, our schools have our children far more than our parents do throughout Absolutely. the week. And uh, so, and you know as well as I do, evolution's taught in schools and all kinds of other garbage. And uh, we Christians don't like it, but it's a secular nation. It's not a, it's, it's, I'm sorry, I'll offend somebody by saying this, but America's not a Christian nation anymore. And uh, so we, we've become a secular nation. And uh, as a result of that, we're getting a lot of these uh, really dumb ideas indoctrinating with our kids. And then we're bringing them to church, hoping that two hours a week will be enough to counter that. Well, mom and, moms and dads, we, we need to be countering that at home. We need to be raising up our kids in the fear and admonition of the Lord. That seems like a bunny rabbit trail that I'm going here, but it's really not. It connects back, I think, to this theology of work because... Uh, we have we have we've raised up a, a generation that um, is anti. Uh, they hear anti God and everything, and so now um, I don't think it's because. Well, let me put it this way: our people in the pews. I don't think it's that they don't want to evangelize or they don't want to be a genuine disciple or to do this. It's that they don't know how. Yeah. And when you don't know how and you don't know what to do, you just don't do anything. Yep. And so as a result of that, we've raised up an entire generation of, of people in our churches, and maybe even generations in the plural here, who don't know how to be genuine disciples. And it's, it's partly our culture's fault, but yeah, we've got to place the blame on the church too, on us and the church. I'm not talking about the building. I'm talking about us people who make up the church. Uh, we, we place the blame on ourselves because we've raised up a generation where, you know, maybe if God isn't that important in our home, it shouldn't be a surprise to us that God's not going to be that important in our children's life when they grow up. Yeah. Uh, if you're only taking your kids to church once a quarter, then all of a sudden they never go to church when they're adults, and you're like, well, why don't they ever go to church? Well, duh. <laughs> There's a disconnect here, apparently. Don't you get it? Yeah. Um, that's the reality we're in today. I, I think a lot of parents forget that do as I do is a whole lot stronger uh, of a pattern for the kid to follow than do as I say. Absolutely. And, and we love uh, do as I say, but not oh, yeah. do as I do. And it's, it's, it is a challenge. Uh, and I, I think that's one of the things that is most challenging to me as a, as a deacon and as a leader in the church is figuring out one, not just how to be a disciple, but two, how to take what I've learned and transmit it in a way that somebody can hear it. Uh, because we hear in such a different way today than we have in the past. And, uh, and work looks so different that when we talk about how to work for the Lord and what working for the Lord looks like. And, you know, well, what do you mean by that? And well, you know, what does it look like? Well, first of all, our, some of our work in the Lord is to be in the word 
and some of our work in the Lord is to be in prayer, and some of our work in the Lord is to be carrying each other's burdens. Yeah. And um, the but that's insular, messy, Ryan. It is, and the insular society that we are living in right we now. We don't like messy. Doesn't like messy. Doesn't like uh, you know. It's almost like we all live in our own little silos. Yeah. And and there's not that communal overlap. Um, and I think that's part of the power. Uh, you mentioned the, the the political side of this, and and that's part of the power of and the draw of the communist line and the socialist lines yeah. that are present is because we don't have that. We we long for that community, and we long to be part of a community and to provide for each other. But we live in such silos that the only group, the only silo big enough to help everybody in many minds is the government. When the church is supposed to be that, the local community is supposed to be that, but the silos have built up so high that we don't know how to break through those. And communism and socialism is not the answer. At the heart of both of those political uh, perspectives is atheism. Mm -hmm. And so, (laughs) I I mean, look... But it should not surprise us that those are going to be more popular today, and they're going to get more popular in the future. We look yep. at the exa- Alexandria um, Ocasio-Cortez of the world and say, well, this seems like a, a weird anomaly, and uh, I'm not going to join the train of making fun of her, though she's given much to make fun of. Yep. I don't like making fun of people like that. Uh, I'm with you there. It just, uh, I, I just don't think it's helpful. Uh, instead, we ought to pray for people like her. Yeah. And, but we're going to have more AOCs in the future because we're getting to be less and less of a godly nation. And uh, look at Europe. Um, we see how godless of a nation, of nations Europe is now, and how churches are barren there. Well, that's the trajectory we're going on in America, yeah. too. Um, because if we don't change paths quickly, um, we're going to be going down there. And, and people say, well, we need to get America back right. We need to fix America. You can't fix America through politics. The only way you're going to fix America is by putting God back in all the places you kicked him out. And work put him is, back in the schools. And work put him is back in the work. Yeah. Uh, put, put him back in society in general, and you'll start to see some things change. But until we're willing to do that, and I don't think that, I, I don't know, maybe I'm a pessimist. I pray that revival happens in across our nation, but I'll read Romans 1, and I see God's judgment on a nation that rejects him, and I just say, oh, man, this is America. Yeah. And um, I, I don't know. just makes you say, come, Lord Jesus, even more. Yeah, it is. It is tied back to that right understanding of who man is, and the right understanding of who God is. Absolutely, uh, that that is at the core of it, which is why I'm doing this series in the first place. A low view of God is always going to present a high view of man. You know, the the less you think about God, the more you're going to think about yourself. The more of a high view you have of God and how holy and set apart He is, and high and lifted up, and completely. Uh, set apart from anything we are to the point that in the New Testament, whenever uh, even the Apostle John, who had seen the transfiguration and had walked with our Savior for three years, you come to Revelation 1, and he gets caught up to heaven and sees a vision and writes Revelation, and he sees this picture, this vision of, of the glorified Jesus, and he falls on his face as if he were dead. You know, you get a high view of God like that, a high view of God like Isaiah had whenever he saw just the the glory of God's train of his robe filling the temple. And he said, "Uh uh-oh, I'm undone, I'm ruined, I'm a goner, I'm a dead man. And the angel had to come and touch his lips with a coal from the altar and said, nope, you're clean. 
you're okay, you're not going to die. When we get a high view of God like that, we will start to think less of ourselves, and we will put ourselves into a proper perspective and realizing that man is nothing but a worm before the Lord. Um, but you, you start to elevate man, you're going to get a very low view of God, and everything is going to get out of whack in a society, including our, our understanding of a work ethic, and that's where we are today. Yeah. Uh, I want to take a few minutes here before we're done and kind of spin work on its head. You mentioned earlier the idea of rest, yeah. and uh, it wasn't in our planning notes, so we're going to kind of shoot from the hip. These are simmering thoughts that are kind of simmering because we've been thinking about it, just not on paper. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, so, you know, we look at rest, and, and rest, in a, especially in a, an Old Testament context, was uh, set. You just rested at certain times and, you know, once every seven years, once every 50 years, the, the massive rests uh, yes, and then the and Jubilee then, years. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And the, and the, the weekly Sabbath and the, the idea of that we are made with that need for rest. There is a need in us to rest in something uh, and to rest in our work, to rest from our labors, to rest in God uh, and to trust him in it. And that is a hard thing to do. And I think, uh, some of the misuse, the overworking, and some of the uh, misuse of work, both both extremes, overworking and underworking, uh, are misunderstanding the need for rest and where we find our rest. Yeah, and um, I, I, like like you said, like we said earlier, a theology of rest goes hand in hand with good theology of work. God created the world in six days, and then he rested on the seventh. And that was a pattern. That was, that was intentional by God. He could have done it in a second if he wanted to. All he had to do was speak a word from his mouth, and everything could have been done all at once. But instead, he spread it out over six days, intentionally resting on the seventh, to set it up as a pattern for mankind to say, listen, we got to take days to rest. And if, if not, then your body is going to tell you that you need rest. You'll wear out eventually. Um, but it is God glorifying. Yeah, you know, it is, it is God glorifying to rest. At the same time, though, we are raising up a generation now that is wanting to do more rest than work. Right. We're raising up a generation that wants leisure time more and more and more. And I get it. There's a lot of beautiful things out there. I love to travel. I'd love to. Um, I'd love to uh, just be able to load up an RV and go take a three-month vacation, uh, and that would be awesome. But is that really wise at my age? No. Maybe when I'm retired and I'm in, in my golden years and I'm not raising kids and it's just me and my wife and I'm not pastoring because I'm like 65, 70 years old, that might be a time for us to take an extended vacation. Uh, but so many people are putting that as an idol of uh, yes. I want to be on perpetual vacation all the time and just work as little as I have to and, and they're going minimal. Well, that, I guess that's one way to do your life. I'm not convinced that's the best way to glorify God, though. I think part of glorifying God is through our work and through spreading the gospel by the way that we work and by our attitudes and by living our life out in community with people. Uh, and, and sometimes work is going to be difficult. That makes the rest all the much sweeter. If you're on a perpetual rest, you just get bored, and uh, and and you will get idle. And uh, there, you know, there's a there's a good quote that I saw this morning that I thought goes well with this. It was by Matthew Henry, one old commentator of old. Good advice. Uh, Idleness gives great advantage to the tempter. Standing waters gather filth. 
Well, I love that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, idleness, perpetual rest gives great advantage to the tempter. And uh, whenever I am tempted to sin the most is usually whenever I'm not doing much of anything. If I've got my hands to the plow doing work for the Lord, whether that be uh, one of the preparing one of my two sermons that I've got to do each week, teaching on Wednesday night, going to the hospital and visiting, or, uh, or just uh, some general other stuff that I have to do as a pastor, I get to do as a pastor is a better way to express that. Um, I, I view pastoring as my primary work. I, whatever secular job I have, I, you know what, if I, if I didn't have this job, I could go find another one. Uh, my, my job is my primary calling is to pastor. It just, you know, my church is small. They pay me generously and provide me a parsonage to live in very generously as much as they can, but it's not enough to live off of. So I find secular employment to be able to do that. That's not my church's fault. It's just the situation we're in. That's perfectly fine. Um, but whatever job I have, whether I work in agriculture like I am now, or you know, if I had to go uh, to a factory or, or fast food, whatever work that you have to do, there's no shame in it if it's providing for your family. You, you do it to the glory. Uh, you do it to the glory of the Lord. But perpetual rest, I, I do think, is a real danger. And that's a growing trend in our culture, is to want to do that. And uh, that, that just leads to sin, in my opinion. Idleness leads to sin. Yeah, I think there's also a, a distractedness that when we do rest, we're not actually resting. Uh, I think about the the video game culture that's that's cropped up in the last twenty years or so. Good point. And uh, you know the it's so easy with a, a smartphone. I've got a smartphone. I'm on Twitter constantly, um, it, but it's so easy to get into a game and start playing the game. And two hours later, three hours later, half a day later, oh yeah. I've lost all that time. Yeah, let's ditch uh, the den yeah. and bring back the study, <laughs> in my opinion. And, and that's uh, something that we... We don't read like we used to either. And and so, uh, boy, what's the right way to say this? I started to say we're a stupider generation than... <laughs> that we may not be the, the politest way to say it, but I think you but, know what I mean by well, that. Well, we haven't developed uh, the intelligence no, that we have. No, we've not. Uh, there, you know, And that's a fruitfulness issue. That's a work issue. It is, it uh, is. To develop the mind is... Uh, the fruit of intellectual work. And that's something that, that my family background comes from hard labor. Uh, my grandfather was a, a, a builder of factories, basically, mm-hmm. and uh, and helped at, at several different places. And my gra- other grandfather was a carpenter and farmer, part-time carpenter. When the weather was bad, he farmed the rest of the time. And it yeah. was a family farm. And my, you know, my dad grew up behind the back end of a mule and uh, you know, used to physically ride the plow. Uh, it wasn't <laughs> wasn't an electric or a gas powered plow. It was a a ox powered or mule powered. Yeah, difficult. Uh, that's hard it, yeah, labor, right? Hard there. labor, and uh, that's what they had growing up. And I've been taught that, but in my life today, I don't do that. My hard labor is picking up and and reading four or five six books at a time, uh, and and developing my mind to that kind of work. It's a different kind of work, and I also have the work of teaching kids, which is a different kind of labor. But those are all still honorable work. And, and to a degree, depending on how you do your games, uh, games are important and that rest is important. We're built to need that kind of, of outlet to, to let our brains settle, to, to have an opportunity to, to see the world from different viewpoints and things. Uh, but some of the games that we do have are uh, distracting from godliness. They're, yeah. they're, they're pulling us away. Uh, yes, I spend a lot of time on Twitter, but 90% per, 
probably 98% of my Twittering is centered around socializing with a particular group of people I interact with anyway and talking theology. We don't go, you know, three conversations without being talking about something in scripture and some kind of theology talk. And, uh, and it's a large group. I mean, there are, there are, uh, it's a huge group of people that talk and, you know, there's, there were constantly testing scripture and passing ideas back and forth and, and it's useful thought work. It's not just idleness. And, you know, we're not, we, every once in a while we'll post a silliness, but most of the time it's serious conversation. Uh, and, and we're talking about the news of the day and we're sharing those things, uh, it's harder to do that locally because there, you know, we live in a weird place where there isn't a community gathering place. No, you know, not there's, really. there's not a, uh, a diner that everybody goes to. And, you know, there's, there's a group of guys that sit at the gas station every morning, but it's not a convenient place to sit and have a conversation because it's so public and it's, yeah. it's hard to have that conversation place. And, uh, so for me, that's Twitter and, and, I see so many that are on there just for frivolous purposes. And the same thing with, with gaming, there's a, a point to it becomes frivolous. And I also see uh, that we've turned some of our play into work in some ways as well. I think especially what we do with kids and sports uh, takes what's supposed to be play and makes it into work. Yeah. It can and, be an idol too. And you it, know, absolutely. Whole, how many parents do we know that just uh, are, 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 die hard my kid's going to be the best and he's going to get the scholarship and he's going to do this when statistically speaking like you know 0.02 percent of the population is probably going to be an nba star or whatever i don't know five percent of statistics are made up on the spot we know so i'm just you know (laughs) you get the point though um your kid may sure your kid might be gifted he's probably not going to be the starting quarterback of the Chicago Bears at some right. point. That's not a retirement plan. Hey, that's not a retirement plan. It's not realistic, you know. Um, one thing I, I did want to mention, though, too, I, I think is good. Revelation always fascinates me. And we don't think about work in Revelation, but it's there, even in the kingdom, when you get to chapters 21 and 22. And listen to what this says. So chapter 21 is talking about the new heaven and the new earth, the new Jerusalem's coming down. And uh, it's talking here, um, uh, verse 22, I did not see a temple in it uh, because the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it because the glory of the Lord illuminates it and its lamp is the Lamb. And that's wonderful. That speaks to a restful environment for us. But then listen to verse 24. The nations will walk by its light. And get this, the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. What does he mean? The kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Well, I'm, I'm assuming that's got to be something to do with work. Whether I don't, I don't know exactly what that means. I'm not going to be pretending to be the expert on Revelation here, um, but um, that's got to be something. So whether the, some of the best artwork from each culture survives and makes it into the kingdom, or whether that is, uh, you know, maybe some of the best pieces of music that glorify the Lord are going to make it from the kings of the earth and move into the kingdom. I don't know. Food. Seems food. Absolutely. Yep. Some of the very the best dishes. I don't know. Um, but it seems to me that some of the very best of the things that we did on earth, the king's glory, might make it into the future kingdom. So it implies to me that in the future, there will be work to do in heaven. Mm-hmm. We may not know exactly what that looks like, even the nature of our reward. All of us like to have a reward. 
Uh, but what is going to be our reward? Well, we don't know exactly what we get. What we get hints of in Scripture are pretty doggone good, though. Yeah. And I think there's certainly some hints in Scripture that we will all have something to do in heaven as part of our reward. Right. Uh, what I don't know. Uh, I think the least position in heaven is probably still going to be pretty glorious. Yeah. You know. So no matter what your position is, it'll be determined by God and by what you did with your life, how closely you walked as a disciple on earth. Um, but there's not going to be pride in heaven of, I've got a better job than you do. That's all going to be gone because sin has been eliminated anyway. But there's going to be work to do in heaven. But in heaven, it's not going to be work like we have on earth. It's going to be work like we had in the garden, right? where it's going to be perfect, glorious work that doesn't feel like work anymore. But it's going to create that perfect character and that perfect community where we have that fellowship with one another and with God. And that, that's a beautiful picture. But in the meantime here, we ought to try to make work on earth be as much like that as we can. Yeah. And I, I think there's a, just to hit one side light before we're done, uh, there's a tie between the use of work and rest and our salvation. And if you look at what we're, what we're shown in the Old Testament. Yeah, Hebrews talks abundantly about Exactly. It. We're yeah. working, to, they, you know, the Old Testament is a picture of working toward salvation and, and working salvation. And in the New Testament, we see a picture of resting in Christ and finding our rest in Christ. Our Jesus salvation. is our Sabbath. Exactly. And to, to see that idea of, of that, that in Christ we can rest and be assured and, and not have to strain to earn our way, which frees us up to actually work well as opposed to work with toil. Because we can rest in Christ, we know the fruitfulness is going to be there. We can work with, with focus and diligence and not work with strain and not work with uh, toil. We don't have to toil our, over our labors when we're working for Christ, whereas when we're working for self, everything is, is a labor. Yeah, and, and the key there is, is abiding or remaining in Christ. John yeah. 15, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If a man abides in me and I abide in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Well, what does he mean, apart from me, you can do nothing? Well, you can do a lot of things apart from the Lord. You can decide what uh, you want to eat for lunch, and you can decide how you're going to spend your day and whatever, but he's talking about kingdom work. Yeah. And uh, any kingdom work that we are going to do, we can do absolutely nothing apart from abiding with Christ, apart from our relationship with Christ. It, it, the, the fruit comes from an overflow with that. Uh, you, you can work like Martha all you want to, but Jesus wants you to be Mary. Yeah. And Martha got scolded for working when she should have been at the feet of Jesus listening that day. Yeah. You don't need to be a Martha Stewart making everything absolutely perfect yeah. for Jesus. Uh, you can be a Mary and listen and have your relationship with Jesus. And your work then comes as an overflow of that, and there will be kingdom value in it. Uh, but if we're going to have our work, let our work have kingdom value in it, whether that's our secular work or whether that's work that we do in the church. By the way, the whole secular, sacred thing is kind of a myth. Uh, we we <laughs> say that. Is sacred. Everything is sacred, in yep. my opinion. I, I don't, you know, I, when people will, will say, well, what do you do for a living? Well, which job do I say? All right. <laughs> yeah. I usually just say I'm a pastor and, and don't go through the full, the full spiel on yeah. that. Uh, but, I, you know, I, I have a secular job, quote-unquote. I don't really view it as secular because whenever you're working for the Lord, everything is sacred. And whenever you're working for the Lord and you're abiding in the Lord, everything has kingdom value to it. Some things are more valuable than others, we understand. Um, but do it all, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of the Lord. To echo back something from earlier in the episode, you said that uh, so many today are working for the weekend. 
And they, they work all week to get to the weekend yeah. so that they can rest on Saturday. And I think within the kingdom, it is a totally different approach. We rest on Sunday. We rest in the Lord. Well, not when you're a pastor. Well, that's well, but even <laughs> just, then, even then, <laughs> just uh, to point that out, you're doing your work. Yes. Yes. But you're also resting in the Lord at the same time. And we're, we're trusting in Christ. We're resting in him. We're celebrating. We're worshiping. We're, you know, there, there are things that have to be done. Yes. You know, as a worship leader, I, there's plenty that we're doing Sunday school and all those yeah, things. Uh, but at the same time, we're able to rest. And, it's a different and, kind of work. Though. Exactly. And from that rest, from that being in Christ, we get to go then into the rest of our week and look forward to the week. Uh, and I, I, this is something that I, one of the accounts I run on Twitter was uh, I've been wrestling with this, sending out midday greetings or midweek greetings. You know, what what should we view Wednesday as? Is it the top of the hill that we're sliding down to get to Saturday or is it the bottom of the valley as we come back up the hill to worship Christ again, to gather with the saints to worship Christ? worshiping Christ all along. But as we gather back together on Sunday, are we looking forward to that? Or are we looking forward to our Saturday? Which well, is it? Well, and here's so, a, here's a good thing. Why not attend the Wednesday night service? Well, that too. And that's, uh, you know, shameless, yeah. shameless plug <laughs> shameless here. Plug. Both we, of our churches have Wednesday night things. Yes, we do. And you know, as well as I do, not as many of our people come back to it. I'm not, I'm not guilt tripping any of my congregation that would be listening to this. And so I'll make that abundantly clear. I'm not I'm not Lloyd the legalist here saying right. if you're not coming here here and here every time the doors are open you're going to burn for eternity. We're not going to go there. But I will say that if you're not plugged into your church throughout the life of the week, you are missing a real blessing. Because yeah. I view Wednesday evening as one of the highlights of the week for it me. Is. Because I get my spiritual batteries recharged. I get to gather together with God's people again. And we at our church, we have a prayer meeting, and then I lead a Bible study. The kids have their own separate thing. And, and so for us adults, we get in together, and we share our joys and our concerns, and, and we pray with one another. And I come out of there. Uh, there are sometimes I come in. I want to go to bed. I don't want to go to church. And then you know that's straight from the enemy, and that's the tiredness of the week getting on too. But every I've, there's never been a Wednesday night that I have walked not walked out of there and been like, man, I feel so much better. I'm glad. Even when I've been sick, yep. I was like, I'm so I'm so glad I've been around God's people because there's something recharging about that. There's a restfulness in the midst of just taking an hour out of your time to stop working on Wednesday and rest with God's people and do something of kingdom Absolutely. value that recharges you to be able to work through the rest of the week for the glory of the Lord. And, and I think that's the, the point that I want to close with, is that, that as Christians in the New Testament context, we rest in the Lord and then are sent out to work, yeah. as opposed to what the world does, which is they work so that they might be able to have a chance to rest later. Our rest is assured it is granted by the Spirit. It is granted in the Lord. And uh, so with that, I do want to go ahead and close up the episode. Can Thank I make you one all more for... quick recommendation? Absolutely. Though? Go for it. I, I, don't want to, I, don't, I don't want to take no, much time, okay. but I think a good book to read on this would be Don't Waste Your Life by John Piper. Okay. I would encourage every Christian to read that book because it does go into what am I doing with my life. And uh, you know, if, if we're living for retirement and saving up so that we can spend the last 20 or 30 years of our lives doing nothing, we're wasting our retirement. And uh, th there's kingdom work to be done. And we don't need to go, as, as John Piper points out, going and, and just perpetually collecting seashells on the seashore and doing nothing for the rest of our lives. 
It's fine if we want to retire from our secular jobs, but give some time to be able to work for the kingdom in there with that. Uh, and so that, I think, is, is a very good book to get some perspective. Radical by David Platt is another great book that just helps you to sort of set the missional focus. So uh, if people are looking for more of a, of a, you know, a book on, not specifically on work itself, but on gaining the right perspective in life that will help you to work and rest appropriately, I think those are a couple of good books they could get started with. One I just recently read is uh, part of the Short Studies in Biblical Theology series uh, by James Hamilton. Uh, it's okay. called Work and Our Labor in the Lord. And I read it in... What, I think it's six chapters. I read it in the course of two or three days, and uh, it was a really good book. And it and it ties together uh, its biblical theology. So it's well, it's, it's Doctor Hamilton. Doctor Hamilton exactly. is very good. Yeah, drawing from the whole of Scripture rather than just isolated points. Yeah, I've not read that and, one yet, uh, but I'll have to check that. It's really out. good. Uh, it's a, there's apparently a whole series. I did not know it existed until I stumbled on a sale on Kindle. Nice. Uh, which my listeners should by now be aware of. That's how I buy my books. Is yeah. I watch uh, for sales on Kindle, and I get them for a whole lot cheaper than their Absolutely. list price. So uh, I'm still a paper guy myself, but thriftbooks.com, if you're a paper guy like me, you can get dirt cheap books that way. So, well, everybody, uh, thank you for listening. Michael, thank you for joining hey, us this ha- morning. Happy to be here. Thanks great for to have a me. chat with you. And uh, want to encourage you all, especially we're recording this on uh, Easter weekend, and we want to encourage you all to rest in knowing that Christ is risen. And with that, everyone have a great week and join us again next week for Simmering Thoughts. Thank you for listening to this episode of Simmering Thoughts. You can join the conversation by emailing us at simmeringthoughts at gmail.com. You could also find us on Facebook at Simmer Thoughts, where we have a page and a discussion group. We'd love to hear from you there. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at Simmer Thoughts. You can find past episodes of Simmering Thoughts on a variety of podcast catchers, including iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and TuneIn Radio. Don't forget to like and subscribe and share Simmering Thoughts with your friends. We hope you'll join us again next week for another episode of Simmering Thoughts.